John, God bless this news cycle. Yes. I thought <laughs> the news of Scarlett Johansson being cast as a trans woman would fly over when it came out months ago. Mm. Months ago? Who knows? Hey, remember when our president shut down the government <laughs> and um, our, our airports stopped working? That was a laugh. Um, nobody remembers that, but it's fine. Remember when that guy got arrested for doing a, a, a pedophile plane ride? Like, what? 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 what who was that guy? When did that happen? Who cares? Again, uh, yeah. Corruption? What is this? What's happening? <laughs> Am I in the upside down? I'm glad you brought that up because I'm going to tease uh, a little connection to Jeffrey Epstein is that man's name. Oh, okay. Um, I'm going to tease. I'm going to leave a little dangle over our, our beloved uh, our beloved donkey listeners. I'm going to dangle a carrot over them okay. so they listen in later. <laughs> Fantastic. Compare our audience to donkeys. Thank you. That's not true. I love our I love donkeys and I love our audience. Kick them, donks. <laughs> yeah. Any hoops. But yes, if you remember, this is many moons ago, Scarlett Johansson was being considered for a role in which she would play a trans woman, and I believe a real-life trans woman. Is that correct? Uh, I believe so. I mean, it, knowing the, that this is a Hollywood don't product. The details don't matter. Exactly. <laughs> knowing this is a Hollywood product, it's like, inspired by a true story. So yes, I'm yeah. sure that there is elements of truth in it somewhere. Yeah. But, and obviously this created somewhat of an uproar because in the trans community, they do want uh, accurate representation. They don't want this phony baloney version of uh, transsexuality on screen. Mm. Um, obviously, this didn't cause a fuss when Transamerica came out in 2005 because Twitter didn't exist. Yeah, then. We, so, we didn't give a yeah. shit back then. But now we yeah, do. So they, yeah, so now they they have the voice in which to raise, raise this complaint and making sure that they are represented fairly and accurately. Mm-hmm. Uh, this came up recently. I'm not sure why. I don't know what Scarlett Johansson is doing other than Avengers Endgame or what's coming out. But she said, um, you know, I, I stick by whatever whatever the casting decision because I feel I can play, I should be able to play any role that I want. Mm-hmm. Now, she thinks that that was taken out of context. It does sound like she's she's being privileged or something. Like, I deserve to have the role even if I'm I mean, not. at worst, it's flippant. Yes. <laughs> at worst, it's flippant. Uh, I think it... At best, it's um, it sounds somewhat uh, snotty, like mm-hmm. or, or demanding. <laughs> you know, I mean, but she, I but I kind of get she it get, because she, yeah, she get, yeah, she get a fair shake. Yeah, I think it's kind of. I mean, from her perspective, speaking as a privileged white person myself, you know, yes. as an actor, you do want to challenge yourself and you do want to take on challenging, meaty roles. Like after playing uh, femme fatale number nineteen eight million times, like I can understand yeah. her desire to kind of want to go for the Oscar baity kind of stuff, and this definitely sounds like. It was Oscar bait, which is why, again, I don't understand the whole tizzy. It's really, was this going to be a nice meaty role for a, a trans actor? No, it was going to be, you know, basic Hollywood garbage. So <laughs> that's, that's my problem. I don't know her exact words, and I don't know the exact details of the, the opposition. But we're going to say something anyway. <laughs> but we're going to say something anyway, because it leads to the problem. It's the problem is our, it, the problem is this market. <laughs> this is... Scarlett Johansson is not going to be cast in art. She's going to be cast in a product that is designed to attract commerce based on the fact that she is playing a transsexual woman. Mm-hmm. And so that is creating this, this adversary where it's the person, it's the, it's the seller, in this case Scarlett Johansson, and the consumer that are having this adversary relationship before the product even comes out. And that product, by the way, is useless. <laughs> it's a movie. And, I, it's, and it's completely anodyne and useless. And I'm saying that as somebody who loves movies. <laughs> so the problem is not like whether Scarlett Johansson will be cast as a trans woman. The problem is that there is this... The market has completely riven our relationship with art. Mm-hmm. 
and now when we see a trans uh, a, a representation of who we are on screen or let's say a personal statement and want to convey a message through this artistic medium we can't because the market is in the way or the market demands something in this case a huge star like scarlett johansson to play this character exactly yeah i mean it's the same thing when people get bent out of shape when you know award ceremonies don't go their way like oh this person was so much more deserving (laughs) like oh if only they had gotten the gold statue then it would have real artistic merit i think that's because we want the also this this phony market this I'll broaden the term to the media to mm-hmm. also affirm our views. What? I think, yeah. People like their <laughs> that, views affirmed? This may sho- I know. This may shock people. but when I they should tell Trump news, supporters this. Do you think Trump yeah, supporters are I think, I think it'll, Yes. That, that point I just made will completely change our minds. And Trump is over <laughs> in 2020, let me tell you. He's Actually, I think this. he'll drop out of the race. He'll be like, Greg, you were right. There is no such thing as fake news. I should have <laughs> <I> known better. <laughs> you know what? I think it's if he doesn't like it, then he can go back to where he came from and try to make it better. So. <laughs> good one. That's, that's good. That's topical. It's topical. Yeah. Keep crushing it. I know. We roasted him. Again, he's over. I don't know he's if he canceled. I mean, eventually he, it, like, <laughs> I'm so exhausted. <laughs> because, again, like, it's, it's, it's in bit, like, we all know the media cycle. Like, we've all gotten savvy to it. It's just so much more exhausting with Trump because it just seems like it goes by so much faster. Because any normal politician with a modicum of shame would be able to, you know, or have to write it out just a little bit longer. But for him, it's like 48 hours, like uh, like clockwork. And like, what's yeah. next? Oh, another disaster in Puerto Rico. You know, oh, okay. And we all forget about that. <laughs> I think it's the fact that, yeah, he consumes the the attention that we have, but also mm-hmm. changes it so quickly. Yeah. Because it, uh, it just makes him stronger. Yeah. Literally a week before that, it was whether or not we were going to, like, bomb Iran. <laughs> and now it's about, it happens to be about four legislators in a body of 400. So... <laughs> Oh, again, yeah. the, the world we live in. Are we yeah. in the Upside Down? I really wonder. No. Oh, good reference to Stranger Things. Um, that's, <laughs> a, t- that's a show that's popular at the moment. What's so not only, have we, not only have we alluded to current affairs, we've also alluded to the current pop culture of the day. So that's the quality podcast that you can come to expect at Aspiring Snobs. And that is why people tune in week to week to week. Yes. Now let's completely change the conversation, John. Let's talk mm-hmm. about a 50-year-old-plus movie that nobody cares about anymore. Uh, but Greg, this movie was one of the most revolutionary films in uh, all of American cinema. I'm glad you used that word, revolutionary. Yes, mm-hmm. we're talking about the, the janitor to new Hollywood, a whole new mm-hmm. era in American movie making. We're, of course, talking about Bonnie and Clyde. What's it like? What you mean, prison? No. Armed robbery. Ain't like anything. Shoot, I knew you'd never rob a place, you faker. She wouldn't have the gumption to use it. All right. You just wait right here and you keep your eyes open. 
Bonnie and Clyde. I, I got it stuck in your head the other day. and <laughs> I didn't even know that was a song. I had to look it up on YouTube. Oh, I'm sure you've now. heard it before. Ah. I mean, maybe. Like, watching one of those, like, insipid, like, AFI top 100 movies. I'm sure they nice. used it during the soundtrack at some point or the other. I, uh, when you said insipid, I thought you meant, like, those CNN documentaries. The 60s. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> like, the VH1, like... Uh, miniseries focusing on a decade but not without the without the jokes exactly so essentially like the, like the vh1 um specials they had years ago boom roasted okay moving on well they also do it with like just vague genres like comedy cnn presents comedy here's the history of comedy remember george carlin remember bill hicks Remember Bill? No, 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 let's not talk about cosby hey remember louis c oh fuck damn it this is so hard hey Patton Oswalt gets to be on screen and gets paid, and that's what that's matters. true. That's that's what's important. Yeah, at, at least we have one winner. Yes. Anyway, Bonnie and Clyde, John, you have never seen this revolutionary film. No, I have not experienced the revolution that was this <laughs> film before. <laughs> so, giving a little cultural context, yes, this is generally regarded as the origin of New Hollywood. Mm-hmm. New Hollywood being uh, this crop of young upstart directors, basically turning the industry on its head with really. Art, really merited artistic creations um, mm-hmm. like the the Godfather Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid can all kind of trace their lineage back to Bonnie and Clyde I thought it was Easy Rider though well that's an, that's another one too I guess yeah revolutions don't come in an instant really um, <laughs> it's never just one film is it it's never just one yeah it's never just one Stonewall or whatever it's a lot of work following that so yeah and it all ended with Star Wars Star Wars yeah. killed it yes and, and I also want to just clarify, I meant Stonewall, the actual riot that took place in 1969, not Stonewall, the movie directed by Independence Day director <laughs> Roman Le- Roland Emmerich, um, which literally whitewashed a lot of the participants of that riot with uh, mm-hmm. cra- crappy anodyne pretty faces. <laughs> there you go. How but he uh, never got. How come he never got me too'd? I would assume he was part of it too. <laughs> so that's fair. Uh, I think he has better sense to know. Uh, when to leave Brian Singer's parties. <laughs> okay, good. Good. I'm glad. I bet he's a romantic. I bet he really charms. Um... <laughs> he wants to charm the pants off you. It's, exactly. not about, it's not about power and control. It's all about persuasion. Exactly. And maybe mm. he checks birth certificates. God, I hope so. Um... Uh, oh, oh, Roland. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's get off this topic. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> It's almost like we want to talk about anything but the movie. And no, that's not true because I do want to talk about this. This movie's not revolutionary because we talk, you and I talk a lot about filmmaking and what the actual artistic merit of a film is. This movie's more known not for its technique but for its content. Mm-hmm. So it's about antiheroes in this case, Bonnie and Clyde. And Hollywood has always done stories about antiheroes, mm-hmm. but the way in which they depict their sexuality and also Ooh. the amount of violence going into it uh, was revolutionary for the time. And the fact that it coincided with this count- this burgeoning counterculture of That's young true. people trying to reject authority, and they found two heroes in Bonnie and Clyde. It also helped that this was on the 30-year nostalgia cycle, and it's kind of uh, <laughs> reminiscent of the th- of the gangster movies of the th- of the 30s. So there's that too. I was gonna say that was there a lot of nostalgia for the Great Depression? Like, oh, remember the Okies? <laughs> well, no, the I think Hoovervilles. <laughs> Those were <Yeah>. good times. <laughs> brought the family together well i think it's fair to say that its vision of the great depression is a a tad sanitized um a little bit no i mean it's it still shows the hard times that people had to live through i don't think it sanitized it too much like again if it it were truly sanitized i don't think we'd see any of it at all 
I guess so. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, now we're parsing terms. But mm-hmm. John, let's get. So I, I've already given my my hand away. Mm-hmm. But upon your first viewing, what did you think of Bonnie and Clyde? It's fine. Um, <laughs> I, I I have the same exact feelings I had when I watched The Graduate for the first time, which is when this movie came out. I'm sure it fucking blew people's minds. But now looking yeah. at it in from a lens two decades separated, three decades separated, four decades separated. It's kind of hard to appreciate. And again, going back to what you said about the whole, the art, the, the technical merits of it, I don't think there's enough technically going on that kind of kept me engaged. The actors at the forefront are doing a bang up job though. I think that definitely passed or uh, lives through the test of time is Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway as our titular characters. And then also there's a very special hack this movie that this movie achieves <laughs> that's right we got to call the hack man <laughs> great <laughs> he's not a superhero much anymore these days uh mm. not after welcome to mooseport uh, they completely <laughs> destroyed his love of movie making but you're right there's the, i don't think there's enough technical merit i know there was talk that they were inspired by the french new wave now that was literally revolutionary in terms of the different filmmaking techniques that they applied Mm-hmm. Um, but this is still kind of classic Hollywood. I believe the directors were also inspired by Keystone Cops, so it's it's a very lighthearted tone, in spite of the violence and and sexuality mm-hmm. and and drama and interplay between the characters that comes later. Yeah, well, I mean, I was also getting senses of like, or I was getting yeah, ripples of like Smokey and the Bandit, even though yes. this is like preceding it. But I can kind of see where that where that spirit kind of lived on in this movie. Exactly. Now. I had the exact same reaction that you did, like the first time I watched it was like, "Wow, this is dull." <laughs> and on paper, the story shouldn't be. This is about two outlaws. I, mm. I mean, each there there's scenes of personal drama, like um, the romance between Bonnie and Clyde, and implications that Clyde isn't exactly a a, a willing partner <laughs> in terms of their romance. <laughs> mm-hmm. We'll get to that. Uh, punctuated by thrilling uh, bank robbing and car chasing scenes. So I thought, like, on paper it works. Like, there's some arresting shots. There's some, like, good action kind of involved. Like, all it has all the elements of, like, a compelling movie. Like, if not, like, revolutionary and a classic 50 years later. Like, it, on paper it should be a compelling movie. But I, I figured out why I found this movie so dull. And it's that the characters never change. This is true. Yeah. Um, you're right they... that, yeah, you're right that Warren Beatty and Faye Dunaway are great as both Bonnie and Clyde, like, hugely charming like very convincing as these like kind of salt of the earth texans or wherever wherever clyde barrow is actually from Mm -hmm. but they start as like charming and then never never adapt or never really adjust to their world we do get a sense that they're not just motivated out of desperation to rob these banks but also the, the the banks themselves the financial institutions are also you know ripping homes and livelihoods away from people mm-hmm. but that's never really explored that's only the the kind of one save the cat moment where we're supposed yeah. to like these people mm-hmm. but otherwise yeah every other character is the same like some are some are reluctant to go on this journey but they get pulled along anyway there's nods that like oh we could stop this life of crime and just live a peaceful life but that that only happens at the very end so um. I no, I think that actually happens a few times throughout the movie. There's uh, particularly the scene where Bonnie ends up visiting her family, and her grandma, maybe in kind of a semi-demented state, kind of bemoans the fact that she could leave this life for that she'll probably never see her again because you're going to be on the run forever. Yes, yeah, and like that, that's my favorite scene because yes. <laughs> it's like we give we give these characters a dimension they didn't have before, but it is just <laughs> one scene. Ex- well, I mean, and then the other scene, the one that stuck out to me is. 
towards the end, you know, Bonnie kind of muses to Clyde, like, what would, what would we do if we never had to rob another bank? Or what would we do if we had to do it all over again? And he's, again, just thinking about how they would rob the banks more efficiently. Yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't live, I wouldn't live in the state where I was doing my robbing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Obliged. My name's Otis Harris. This is Davis. We work this place. How are you? This here's Miss Bonnie Parker. Glad to meet you. I'm Clyde Barron. Clyde. We rob banks. So on the one hand, I do kind of want to give the movie a lot of a lot of credit because it does play even though this obviously this movie captured that kind of revolutionary spirit that uh, the 60s wanted to, or uh, kids from the 60s wanted to inhibit or uh, inhabit. Yeah, um, anti-authoritarian. Is, yeah. yeah, there is a bit of ambivalence to it as well. And I do love the subversion of expectations when it does come to the sexual content as well. Yes, this movie does get quite uh, steamy at times. <laughs> well, it opens with a, with a Faye Dunaway in her birthday suit. Mm. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not talking about her Sunday best celebrating her <laughs> her sweet sixteen. And there's a few and there's a few scenes where we get uh, there's only one scene where we kind of get a post coital Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. But a lot of the times we we don't we can't ignore the fact that Clyde is kind of impotent. Yeah. <laughs> and I do love that kind of subversion of expectations because you've got Warren Beatty here. He's playing yeah. like a swaggering bank robber like a ne'er-do-well who can do no wrong charming as hell but when it comes down to the actual moment he can't he can't do anything <laughs> yeah that's in that's in sharp contrast to hollywood stars of old who were never sexual but also mm-hmm. most of the time completely invulnerable and never portrayed any characteristics that i think people could identify with um i think it's also key because he attracts her with this obvious symbol of of his gun, and mm-hmm. it kind of twitches around. And she touches it. And yeah. she, she holds the barrel. <laughs> yeah. That's called symbolism, people. <laughs> Only smarty pants like me can, can identify it, but... I can see the parallels. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I guess it is a new dimension when you find that there's, like, sort of an emptiness to that. Mm-hmm. First, first in the robbery, which he he goes to a, a shuttered bank, pretty much. There's no money in it, mm-hmm. and he has to he has to pull somebody out to explain to Bonnie, like, see, I didn't fail. the The bank failed, and so I'm I'm still a good bank robber. Trust me. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's the same. It's the same kind of in their personal. That's in their professional lives as bank robbers, and now in their personal lives, when you know there there just isn't and there there isn't enough. Uh, the masculinity isn't the right word, but uh, enough oomph behind him. Well, I mean, and that's kind of the weird uh, tone that this movie is playing with, is on the one hand, it wants to laud our heroes as these as these revolutionaries, these people who are really sticking it to the man, but yeah. they're also kind of bumbling buffoons at the same time. Yeah. Like, And again, the ultimate moral of the movie is that, you know, these people weren't martyrs for your cause. They were just kind of like... Like what did the revolutionary? What did the revolution come to? Absolutely nothing. Uh, I think one of the finer points is that Clyde 
as a symbol of his impotence, he also kind of walks with a limp because he's missing two toes. Yeah. Why is he missing two toes? Well, because when he was a convict, when he was in jail, he figured he would be able to get out of work if he was uh, handicapped. So he, he implies that he cut off two of his own toes so he wouldn't have to work. Yeah. Now, if I had to labor or cut <laughs> off my own toes, I think I would probably go with the former. That's just me. Yeah. <laughs> So again, well, it never implies that Clyde is a is a mastermind or really has any kind of higher ideals or morals whatsoever, and he is kind of at the end of the day kind of a buffoon. He is kind of an idiot. Yeah, I I think the yeah the oafishness of their at least uh, initial robberies is supposed to be endearing. However, we should also lay our cards on the table and reveal our personal biases. You and I are, I think, too square for Bonnie and Clyde. Mm. I can understand, like... <laughs> I know. Maybe so- you are. Speak for yourself, good sir. <laughs> I'm a rebel, all right? Let me put on my leather jacket <laughs> and get on my hog. <laughs> what is wrong with that boy? Oh, John, I'm just, I've got the vapors just looking at you right off after 10 p.m. in the evening. Um, I can understand if we were countercultural in the 60s like we could identify with these heroes but you and i are young white um, (laughs) upper middle class professionals we can't Mm -hmm. and so like as as endearing and and charming as these two lead actors are i just maybe we just can't identify with them and we can't put ourselves in the headspace of the mid-1960s and find them as appealing as they were back in the day Hmm. would you know what kind of car this is this is a four-cylinder ford coupe no. Sure. Sure is. This is a stolen four-cylinder Ford Coupe. Hey, you ain't scared, are you? Huh? <laughs> I believe he is. Well, that's a pity now. We sure could have used a smart boy like that who knows such a great deal about automobiles. Are you a good driver, boy? Yeah, reckon I am. No, he's better off here. What's your name, boy? B.W. Moss. Well, I'm Miss Bonnie Parker, and this here's Mr. Clyde Barrow. We rob banks. Yeah, I'm, that's absolutely true. Again, thinking back to all the other movies that were like, you know, quote unquote revolutionary, watching now with fresh eyes, I don't like, I can't really think of any I've actually enjoyed, like whether it's <laughs> The Graduate or Breathless or The 400 Blows or anything. Yeah, I, I'll i just make another point that I did admire Breathless because I felt like it went whole hog in terms mm. of its revolutionary content. Like, the main character is a little bit irredeemable between the jump cuts and the handheld camera work. Mm-hmm. Like, it looked like it was it was trying harder than this movie, which is, somewhat has some half measures. Like, yeah, it's th- definitely splitting the difference between, like, you know, revolutionary, like, oh, look at these bad guys, and yeah. still very much working from the Hollywood template. Like, yeah. come on, like Warren Beatty, what do you expect? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, maybe I'm expecting too much out of Hollywood product. Mm-hmm. But the, uh, but maybe we should get into her. I don't think it's helped at all by our supporting cast. Like, I do not like Gene Hackman as <gasps> his brother. Buck. How yeah. dare you? <laughs> John, need I remind you that Gene Hackman is t- today, as, as he's still with us, um, God, God bless, um, he's still an a-hole, though. Nah, don't read any of the behind-the-scenes stories of the Royal Tenenbaums if you want to... <laughs> 
<laughs> if you if you still want an endearing portrait of Gene Hackman, as long as he's not a sexual predator, he's okay. In my yeah, book. okay. <laughs> I guess I guess that's true. Maybe that's why you retired early, so you wouldn't have. Because I I assume there's skeletons in that closet, but absolutely, probably. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't like his character, but because he's kind of like this country bumpkin to Clyde's suave uh, demeanor, mm-hmm. and then he also has the the nagging wife. <laughs> yeah. So in contrast to Bonnie, uh, Clyde. Uh, Clyde's brother brings his wife along, who is definitely way too green for this kind of life, and she yeah. is definitely not road-ready when it comes to robbing banks. And it kind of puts her in uh, sharp relief in contrast, and also she's the one who ends up turning on everybody, so <laughs> classic well, women, so weak-willed. <laughs> exactly. She's a, she's a character with no agency. She, if, if we were to ascribe a stereotype to her, it would just be like the nagging wife. Mm-hmm. And it it creates just some empty tension between her and Bonnie, who just whenever she like raises her voice or objection, like just walks away in a huff. Mm-hmm. So that's that's not exactly compelling. But I I it's kind of a missed opportunity because I did like the scene like there's there's this massive shootout in which like all all our main characters are bloodied. The whole Barrow gang is is destitute is just ripped apart by this shootout, and mm-hmm. we see her in the hospital and she's got a bandage completely unwrapping her head including her eyes mm-hmm. and it's it's somewhat of a resting image until our our main adversary the sergeant hammer this deputy or something comes in and she screams at like, ah and she's still like the same character <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and i w- i was hoping like she would be more, more demure or would see like how much how scarring this whole experience is as fun and lively as the bank robberies were portrayed earlier now it's like physically scarred these characters and i wish it continued to play the scene straight but they I were mean, also tempted they were also tempted by making blanche the the silly comic relief too yeah i mean but this movie is definitely working off a print the legend template like let's be real. yeah no one went oh, into yeah. the movie being like we're gonna tell the real bonnie and clyde story because <laughs> there's really only one element to the real bonnie and clyde story as long as they both get gunned down in a car by the end you've told the real story <laughs> Yeah, so let's uh, let's get to that ending, mm-hmm. because I think that's the other like, if there is like a no half measures revolutionary aspect to mo- uh, quality to this movie, it is the ending wherein it looks like uh, they're gonna uh, forego their life of crime, you know, settle down, just the two of them, mm-hmm. and then the we haven't even mentioned the character of H.W. I don't think uh, no, and their other the, cohort. He's kind yeah, of an empty character cool. until the end. He turns on them too. Yeah, but and that's kind of nice. There is a little bit of tension there. So yeah. I think that's kind of nice that they included the whole, like, will he, won't he, with yeah. his father. Because his father, you know, he plays all friendly with him, but as soon as he gets H.W., how did you get wrapped up with these two fools? Yeah. I and thought that was kind of nice. Yeah. So it's it's odd that the, the two char- the two scenes that we love most involve parents <laughs> and basically giving characters dimensions and the, the prospect of a choice or a way in which they can change their actions instead of the same scenes over and over again in which they, they goof off rob a bank, get mm. chased, and exactly. have little squabbles between them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it looks like uh, they're about to ride off into the sunset. I'm not sure if people did know, like, general audiences knew the the, the, the final act of valor for Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think they did. Like, that, that car has been, like, a museum piece like that's been like a traveling side oh show. Like, you're right yeah there and there's i think a photo too of them riddled with bullets yeah <laughs> that that must have been passed around because this movie does also touch on how they played the media and basically printed their own legend via the poems of, of bonnie parker and blah 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 then other matters mm-hmm. yeah but uh arthur penn being the dramatist he is 
It's really placid music. It looks like they're driving off to the sunset until they stop. Music cuts. They they do these like quick cuts, like literally last less than half a second. Yeah, and you get this like big screech of these ducks, these honking ducks, because yeah. the cops are lying in wait and they've obviously spooked them, and that's kind of the last sign before it just becomes a, a just a hailstorm of bullets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, uh, that's probably why I made the uh, allusion to the Godfather earlier. Because it's clear that like Francis Ford Coppola is like, hey, I love that scene in Bonnie and Clyde. I'm just going to do it with James Caan's character, with Sonny. <laughs> with just 10 million more squibs. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so music cuts out, cuts a slow motion, the squibs, which again was a new innovation at the time, um, literally exploding on poor, <laughs> poor uh, Faye Dunaway and, <laughs> and Warren Beatty. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you get this just this moment when the sheriff's deputies and H.W.'s uh, father just like kind of stare at them, then cut to black. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's your lot. You knew how this story yeah. ended. <laughs> Again, sharp, sharp contrast to the the twangly, you know, um, uh, smoking the bandit music earlier. <laughs> Again, like I can't quite put my mind back to what a '60s audience would have experienced that in real time, but yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's pretty effective on its own merits, right? Yeah, I, I'd say this is this is the time in which like kind of changing or adjusting tones work. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me, I, I extol Citizen Kane for this virtue. There's a scene when he's like dancing around. There is a man, a certain man, mm-hmm. and then my head goes back to the scene at the end when he's ripping up his ex-wife's room. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, how how did this man get from here to here? And I I thought of I thought of this exact same scene too, like uh, when Warren Beatty's just, you know showing that smile and the twangy guitar music's playing. Like, how did we get from there to here? Mm-hmm. And it it works. I think it I think it's an effective shift in tone. However, it's it's the rest of the product that doesn't work. <laughs> if we judge this as a movie product, again, I found it dull because the characters never change or evolve in ways. And when they do, like this right off to the sunset, followed by a, yeah. a final gunning down, it's too little, too late. Exactly. And again, going back to what you talked about with the whole French New Wave, it just feels kind of too airless. I feel like yeah. it, it just feels a little too lax and. The stakes just aren't really felt, especially for a high-stakes story of crime and, you know, robbery and romance and love. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. C+. Plus. <laughs> I would give it a B to B-. minus. Okay. Yeah. Again, and good also, performances. And, yeah. I mean, if you, if you want to see what all this hubbub about, about this baby fella, this yeah. baby guy's going places. <laughs> yes. Watch this and town and country. <laughs> What about his, that? his other masterpiece with an ampersand in it? What about Bullworth? Bull, I've I've wanted to see Bullworth. I That's... I remember it, like having it sticking. I I remember that poster. It was inspired by I see, don't know who. The... And that's the weird thing about that movie. I know the poster 
to that thing backward and forward. I cannot picture a single scene. Mm. I cannot picture a single moment. But everyone talks about that movie like, oh man, this like this was a weird mark for this guy's career. But it's like you never see any clip. I can't picture any moment from that movie, which is weird that it hasn't like permeated. Like even movies like. I mean, this is a bad comparison, but like North by Northwest, you know, that, that scene where the plane is flying yeah. through, like that's referenced like a million times. And at least you have like a frame of reference, but I'm not saying Bullworth is North by Northwest, but at least like <laughs> someone should have played a clip of it somewhere that I should be able to at least recognize. Yeah. And, and maybe going back to the market, <laughs> the market could be at fault here again <laughs> in that, I don't know about home media or cable licensing or anything like that. Maybe maybe those things are what limit its post theatrical appeal, mm. or post yeah post theatrical run where we did see that distinctive poster. Got it. Yeah. God, how brilliant was that poster? You have a star of Ned Beatty, and they don't put him on there. They put a caricature, <laughs> looking like Monk's scream. <laughs> but that's what also made it great. It was it was meant yeah. to be a political satire, so they made yep. it you know look look like a political cartoon. So. Yeah. Yep. I approve of the poster. <laughs> By the poster alone, I say. Bullworth, go check it out. <laughs> yes, and I I do want to point out that yes, you you did accurately identify Easy Rider as let's say another uh, hallmark or stake in the establishment of New Hollywood, mm-hmm. because I think while I think this was like highly influential, like it, it was the change wasn't immediate <laughs> because they they still came out with Doctor Doolittle and um, Hello Dolly and Shoot, what's another? I had another example in my head, but whatever. <laughs> like after this movie came out, so it, it, it's it's critical in box office success wasn't wasn't the immediate sea change that we saw, hmm. and it was also hugely aided by a crop of young directors kind of coming out. Yeah, yeah. George Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola, Steven Spielberg, Martin Scorsese. You know the names. You know this era <laughs> of Hollywood. It's been lionized enough. Terrence Malick. It's been, yeah, it's yeah, it's it's liquefied enough people's brains that they thought like the 1970s was just a, an era in which every every weekend had a classical movie come out. <laughs> they were sticking it to the man. This is revolutionary yeah. <laughs> time. The inmates are running the asylum. Yes, exactly. And it was the greatest era for movie. There wasn't movies like the King Kong remake. Or... <laughs> Or Orca. Remember Orca? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Actually, I just uh, the only reason I named that is because those are both uh, Dono De Laurentiis films. So. Yes. <laughs> God, God bless Dino De Laurentiis. Oh, great guy. Loved him. Yeah. Oh, his Bunko Bunko parties. Ooh, let me tell you. <laughs> you don't know that. You don't know enough. But you just know his films. Greg, How why, prolific you, he why, was. why can't you just accept my hard partying lifestyle, okay? <laughs> just always trying to put me in a box. Yes, I am. You go back to Italy, all right? <laughs> go back to the country you came from. I know, that shit old country you came from. <laughs> you ever see the movie Gomorrah? Oh, Italy? No, thank you. <laughs> that is not on the list for my honeymoon. Oh, dear. I heard Italy's fabulous. Yeah, well, the, 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 how about the tourist destinations in Italy? Okay, fine, yeah. fine. Well, what about Don't the motherland? You just go through the countryside, and there's people just making you big bowls of spaghetti. Hey, come <laughs> <Yeah>. on in. <laughs> yes, they're making you bowls bowls of spaghetti, um, <laughs> serving you just endless wine. Um, mm-hmm. After after a hard day, start uh, waking up at the crack of 3 p.m. Uh, <laughs> they're just so hospitable over there. Yeah, that's true. So that's what old city-state money gets you. <laughs> That's what all those kickbacks get you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, 
Yeah. Enough about corrupt Italians. Yeah. Let's talk about corrupt Puerto Ricans instead. Oh. <laughs> no, Greg. Another let's current event them. checked off. See? We pay attention. Let's give them unbiased reporting, okay? This is yes. not fake news. What we have to tell you and what we have to recommend to you in our signature segment, Spotlight. 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 It's time, Robbie. It's time. John, can I keep it tied to New Hollywood? Sure. Go. Because... As we explained, the format of the episode is that we're watching classic films that we've never seen before. One of us has never seen before. Mm-hmm. So that we can be part of the, we can be actual film snobs. Yes. So, unfortunately, that leaves out a lot of classic films that we don't talk about. This is true. So I, I do try to put a spotlight, A, to, a, to make myself sound better, but also <laughs> B, give us an opportunity to talk about some awesome films. In this case, I want to contrast Bonnie and Clyde with another great from New Hollywood, Chinatown. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of unfair. Like, again, you last week recommended Chernobyl. It's like, wow, hot take. <laughs> Greg yeah. likes what everyone else loves. <laughs> exactly. This is a very un- unoriginal uh, spotlight because it's, it's inspired by two things. One, uh, Steven Soderbergh wrote like a column like 10 years ago that I remember was at the bottom. <laughs> Extremely timely. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And I remember it was at the bottom. You remember when IMDb did links, like, hey, interesting links to, I don't know, like Nerdist or yeah, <laughs> IndieWire like, or, or one of these, like, uh, nascent film blogs or something. Yeah, if it somehow, like, with the Google algorithm was able to find the keywords and pull up this headline, even regardless of how relevant it was. <laughs> yeah, this is because Reddit and Twitter didn't exist. So <laughs> once those came into being, the, this link this link storm at the bottom was made irrelevant. But I remember clicking on one, it was a column by Steven Soderbergh. I don't know where it was published, but he, he, he started speaking in the language of the internet. And I'm hearing a lot of talk of what's underrated and overrated. I just want to talk about something that's great and tell you how great it is. And it was Chinatown. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So that's that's what this spotlight's reserved for, is is a chance for you and I to talk about Chinatown, because we've already seen it, and it's already great. So mm-hmm. the other thing that inspired it was the curious case of one great guy, a great philanthropist, Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> because, and, and I'm chapping at the bit for this <laughs> he could expose the terrible immorality and corruption at at the one percent level of levels of our society and that already existed somewhat or at least was alluded to in the character of noah cross mm. the future mr gets <laughs> <laughs> i mean it also has some uh, sexual impropriety in that movie Do you think exactly able to speak yeah to that as well so <laughs> yeah it's it's completely unfettered capital and just uninsatiable greed for one thing that's that's what motivates him to the at the expense of everybody else in this case water through los angeles and yeah it's it's this detective jj gettys who um, comes across this conspiracy to basically control water flowing into los angeles a necessity at that point in the 30s and still is what am i saying (laughs) i mean with this drought we're having oh boy yeah exactly (laughs) and you know this this conspiracy is also tied with the personal in the case of Faye Dunaway's character already doing exceptional work in Bonnie and Clyde doing even better work in Chinatown mm-hmm. being uh Noah Noah Cross's daughter but also the mother of his child so it's not just it's not just the immorality of his greed but also just he just has this this uniquely american want that's just that's just absolutely despicable and and the Robert Town was a consultant both on Bonnie and Clyde and Chinatown Robert Town was a consultant on Bonnie and Clyde. He also wrote Chinatown, and 
again, so you know, like all the dialogue and plotting is just going to be exceptional. Again, if if only he had written Bonnie and Clyde <laughs> instead of just been a consultant. And like Bonnie and Clyde, took the language of old cinema. In the case of Bonnie and Clyde, it was the gangster movies of the 30s. And in the case of Chinatown, it's film noir of the 40s. And just broadened it out, widescreen, full color, just gorgeous cinematography. So they used all the tools of today to take all the best like kind of storytelling and culture of the past. So... That's why I also adore it. The fact that it wasn't like it didn't feel it needed to limit itself in terms of like telling a a forties a forty story with forty forties technology and techniques, <laughs> you know, badly. <laughs> Wait a minute, but Steven Soderbergh has experience with that. <laughs> exactly. Yes, I think I think that's what he realized. I think this his column was written after The Good German, and he realized, oh, I shouldn't have I shouldn't have limited myself with the technology and the Academy four by three aspect ratio. It just made his movie worse. Uh, but Greg, he's still shooting stuff on iPhones that you seem to enjoy. So, oh, but John, that's the future. The future, Mister Gitz. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> because John, the future is iPhones. Another great movie was shot on the iPhone, uh, an iPhone, Tangerine. Yes, I have starring not, starring I've... actual transsexuals about it. <laughs> yeah, but only if if only that movie had Scarlett Johansson in it, then it would have made money. Yes, exactly. If it had a Hollywood star, it would have done bigger, and people would would know what the hell I'm talking about. There you go. <laughs> Instead, they're like, "What the hell is this Tangerine movie?" But anyway, I, I, it's still on Netflix. I think it was so. on Netflix for a long time. I've yeah, been I don't know why it. it it's on my queue, but yeah, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't gotten around to it. Yeah. Mostly because poverty porn. Ugh. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> exactly, John. It sounds like you want an escape in the cinema. Um, Chinatown does not give that to you. No, it, it doesn't. It shows a, a, a terrible, not a funhouse mirror, an accurate mirror to um, <laughs> just insatiable American greed and just and the victims that lie in the way. Exactly. In this case, women, mostly. But Yes, mostly women. <laughs> and I mean, that's a great testament to the movie. I... I I've gone on a million times about spoilers, but the fact that if you have a good murder mis- or a good mystery, period, yeah. and you can watch it over and over again, and it's still compelling every time, then and that's the case with Chinatown. That's why it's it's a hallmark of a great movie. And and you know, forget it, Greg. It's Chinatown. Yeah, she's my daughter. <laughs> she's, she's my sister. sister. She's my daughter. She's yeah. my sister. Yeah. Thank God we we don't talk about it on this podcast because we would just be reiterating our favorite moments and scenes and stuff. So there you go. Uh, once again, Greg going with the basics. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, Chinatown, good. Look how smart I am. That's not the point. I did I did I not connect it to the movie we watched this week and to current events? Okay. That's my English major skills paying off on this <laughs> podcast that makes zero dollars. <laughs> Worth it for that $400,000 degree. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> American capitalism at its finest. Yes. Well, Greg, I have a. I just discovered a kind of slight connection with what I wanted to recommend this week, because we've got another hack. That's right. The Hackman's back. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Please tell me it's the Royal Tenenbaums or... Shoot, what's a terrible movie you did in the 90s? <laughs> uh... I mean, Greg, he he just runs away. He, every movie he does is a hit, so it's really yeah. hard to say. Yeah. Please tell me it's Enemy of the State. No. <laughs> Dang it. I would, I would, I should spotlight that movie, too. It's great. But yeah. Go ahead. I know. Um, actually, you know what I rewatched? I re- recently rewatched The Birdcage. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he plays uh, Senator Keeley. So yep. he's, a, he's a conservative senator, part of this uh, moral majority. They don't call it the moral majority, but it's something like that. It's like the, the you know... A committee of moral ethics or something like that and yeah. so he's a he's a very you know boisterous outspoken christian's conservative very anti-gay 
And wouldn't you know it, his daughter ends up marrying someone who has two gay dads. <laughs> what? <laughs> Hi, Jason Sue. <laughs> and so I, I just love kind of the opening scene of this movie because, you know, not going in, like, I wish I could watch it again with, like, fresh eyes because... Yeah. So it centers around this gay couple played by Robin Williams and Nathan Lane. Ugh, two, two masters in their prime. Yes. <laughs> yes. Should be thankful we still have Nathan Lane. Um, exactly. <laughs> especially, especially this week as the live-action Lion King comes out. <laughs> Which is totally... I mean, I guess, Billy, if, if you had to find an heir apparent to <laughs> Nathan Lane, I suppose it would be Billy Eichner. Absolutely, Yes. That's very true. Yep. And if only if only the visual format was better, but continue. <laughs> so Robin Williams plays Armand. He's kind of the uh, the grounded, serious member of this relationship while Nathan Lane is playing Albert or yeah. as Starla as he goes in his drag performance days and yeah. and, and and Albert is uh, quite hysterical most of the time. Maybe yeah. a little over the top, maybe a little <laughs> This movie's not perfect, but I love it. I, so <laughs> Well, I mean, it is based on an old French play or movie or something. Yeah. And, yeah, and I guess we can forgive uh, Nathan Lane's, speaking of representation, at least he is (laughs) somewhat in real life a hysterical queen and can accurately represent one. I think real casting credit and acting credit goes to Robin Williams for playing the straight man. That is true. Um, Not literally, sorry. (laughs) Bad choice of words. (laughs) But yeah, there's this opening scene where uh, Armand is trying to get Starla on the stage. Her number's about to come up, and she's hysterical. She's she's accusing him of cheating. You're chilling white wine right now. We only drink red. <laughs> and so eventually he gets her on stage. And in the meantime, he goes back up to their room. They they live above this nightclub that they both run together. You know, he's obviously the businessman. Starla is the star. And yeah. once you know it, this hot young thing enters the room. And he pulls out the <laughs> bottle of white wine. And, you know, they, they share, you know, a nice a cute embrace. Like, obviously, they know each other. And you're like, yeah. oh, oh, my gosh, maybe Armand is cheating. And that's when the, the young man admits, I have some news. I'm getting married. And he's like, and Armand is kind of devastated. It's like, you're too young. He's like, Dad, don't do this to me. And you realize it's his son. And it's yeah. like, it recontextualizes everything. I just think it's, it's a brilliant moment. <laughs> but, John, we're talking... Yes, very nice uh, mm-hmm. that Robin Williams and Nathan Lane get to play a gay couple. Mm-hmm. But this is 1996 America. They were not <laughs> ready for a, an overtly sexual depiction of... I mean, do you feel it's it's accurate to a gay married couple's life? Or? I mean, that is kind of the strain... That's part of the reason why watching it again with fresh eyes. Like, I did get yeah. this weird kind of nostalgic ping because I can't really remember watching a movie at this time that depicted a relationship quite like this. Can you... Okay. Like especially because well, we did watch it. No, because we I didn't watch young. it at the time. <laughs> no, we did watch it when we were pretty young. I remember watching it like only a few years separated from when it came out. I don't remember that at all. Okay, um, well, I guess I, only I. I guess it made an impression on you, and you decided to join the gay army. There and... you go. Yes, this is the movie that made me gay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but I guess watching it with fresh eyes now, I do appreciate the representation, and I kind of wish yeah. when I was younger and I did watch it for the first time, I did appreciate it more because they do have a very like, even though. They do have what's implied to be kind of a living fuckboy with oh, Hank yes. Azaria playing Agador. Also, yeah. again, oh, not I a, didn't know. I couldn't remember his name, but yeah. also not a, maybe not a, the most uh, sophisticated representation ever. Yeah. And uh, as far as I know, Hank Azaria is not gay, so this is not yeah. a win for no. casting. But no, <laughs> Birdcage, you're canceled. Yes. 
No more, no more airings for you on TNT at 8 a.m. So I can't really speak to it being like a, a super accurate representation. Granted, I do know gay couples who do have that much uh, uh, paraphernalia in their house that represents, <laughs> you know, hot bodies and dicks. But uh, yeah, you know, obviously here it's played for laughs. They're trying to play a straight couple in the. In, as the plot progresses, they have to actually yeah. put on a good show for the senator as they come mm-hmm. to dinner, and so and it's just farcical, and it's kind of. That's kind of the weird thing about the movie is the fact that it's directed by Mike Nichols, who has a yep. very kind of classic, you know, standard, true-to-life style. But this movie just takes so many kind of weird, farcical directions. One well, of I the, think that's, one of the that's... complications is uh, that I want to bring up is the fact that Robin Williams' uh, character's last name is Goldman, but then they have to pretend it's Coleman, so it sounds more, you know, like Anglo-Saxon. Gentile, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> And so obviously there's you know miscommunication with that, and also the fact that all their how their uh, house is littered with just you know phallic imagery everywhere. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's that's probably belied by the original French play, which is also a farce. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I presume I haven't seen it. So, <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah, come on, it's a it's a comedy in the mid '90s. Of course, it's got to be ridiculous <laughs> and have gross out gags and. I mean, there's no pies in the face, so I guess you got to give it credit yeah. for that. But yeah, I, you know, it's a really don't good they movie. have to dress up Gene Hackman though, or yes, that's the that's... yes, you know, you know exactly where this is going. <laughs> Drag comes in to save the day. So. Yeah, <laughs> and I, it, it's funny because the play is the French play that it's originally based off is like at least from the '60s, or at least it's got to be from around that time. And it's weird how they kind of updated it with him being like a very 90s era senator concerned about like you know moral ethics and whatnot and you know you've got TMZ or whatever the you know political equivalent of TMZ chasing them around so it's funny how they kind of updated it for an Americanized modern day audience but all right I, I won't give them credit I don't think they had to try that hard oh Greg <laughs> come on following Ga- Gary Hart John come on all right fair point fair point <laughs> and then soon I mean lucky them a year later um <laughs> Monica Lewinsky starting her internship in the White House. Thank God that worked out for her. (laughs) And look at her now. Yes. (laughs) Just a bang of career in politics. But yes, the birdcage. Again, as a young gay man, I wish I appreciated it more, and I get to appreciate it now. Well, wait, wait, wait. Young? I'm just saying, as a kid, I would have appreciated it more if I knew I was... Okay, all right, all right. Yeah. All right, fine. It's the movie I made me gay, okay? Is that what you want to hear? <laughs> no, I thought you were talking talking about yourself in the present tense. No, of course I'm not. I'm an old soul, Greg, even if I'm old, even if I'm only in my top 30s. Come on. I'm a I'm a I'm an old schlub by at heart. Top top 30s? Is that is that what they're referring yeah. to it as now? Yeah, that's I'm I'm Greg, I'm a total top. All right. <laughs> Let's get off this. Hey, uh, if you love what you just listened to, now's the time to ask for a five-star review. Mhm. Oh yeah, just get it. Just give us, give us all five stars, right yeah. in there. Just pound it. Think of this. Think of this as that dating app where you can rate your dates. <laughs> I feel like we did a five star job. Uh, John, you brought the you brought the color. Let's say you brought the theatricality. I was the smooth, suave one, um, the oh, sensible okay. choice, the businessman. Yeah, got it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Whatever, Greg. I don't know what you're hiding. I don't know what you're making up for, but no one's buying it. <laughs> John, I, gay men can act however they want. Okay, I'm not going to buy. It. While we're alluding to current events, I, there was an article in the New Republic, and somebody yeah. basically accused presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg of being like the gay Uncle Tom, just because he is so straight-laced and again using that word straight to doing a lot of work there. Um, 
<laughs> just because he he plays by this rules and not not befitting uh cultural expectations of what a gay person should be mm-hmm. um which goes back to like are they black enough like i don't know why we're still having this conversation <laughs> just let people be people <sighs> i mean look we can't argue that pete Buttigieg is not boring he is so boring but yeah. <laughs> exactly I don't think it is fair to criticize him for not being gay enough. So, <laughs> so you would, you would, you're saying you wouldn't have published that article. You're taking a brave stance there. <laughs> you know what? Chinatown's a good movie, and I wouldn't have published that article. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you know what? Donald Trump's comments were wrong. Okay. Oh my gosh. Hot takes. They were wrong. I found I found them racially tinged. Um, <laughs> Guys, it it was kind of subtle, but you might have noticed some latent racist dog whistling there. Yeah. I don't know if you guys saw it. I feel like I'm yeah. the only one who caught it. No, I've I've got the contrarian take. I think you're misrepresenting what he actually <laughs> said. I know this has never happened before, but I'm going to try to defend what you heard and saw with your own eyes and ears. <laughs> uh, if you loved those hot takes, wait till yeah. you see our other hot takes on social media. That too, yeah. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so we'll have more, even more political commentary there. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you want something on a little bit of the lighter side, follow us on Instagram too. We're yes. doing a, a, I think we're doing a pretty good job there. Crap, I forgot to post yesterday. I was gonna post something. Shit. I sh- I'm trying to, I'm trying to make the Sunday spotlight thing a thing. So. Okay. Yeah, oh, that's, that's fine. Don't, don't, don't worry. Down. Yeah, don't, John, don't get down on yourself. Oh no. <laughs> I'm a social bad gay. Media. I'm not on social media enough. <laughs> No, John, you can be whoever you want. You, I, I think it's okay for gay people to not be on social media. <laughs> I think it's Greg, okay you just for don't they, them the to wear lifestyle. a suit and tie okay. or uh, wear nail polish and, um, I don't know, a singlet. <laughs> yeah, you would say that, okay, Mr. Straightsville, okay? Yeah. Just don't understand the culture, okay? Yeah. You don't I, understand I, who no, we don't. are. Then then where's the – you don't understand the culture I'm under to wear vineyard vines and dress, <laughs> dress nicely for job interviews. All right, this is a restrictive culture too. <laughs> you think I get to be who I want to be? Yeah. You don't know how hard it was to wear puka shell necklaces in the early 2000s. <laughs> My closet's full of Crocs that you'll never know, know about. <laughs> But hey, you've heard the spiel before. Like yep. us on social media. Mm-hmm. Give us a five-star review, please. And if you want to get in touch with us personally, aspiringsnobs at gmail.com. Yep. Questions, comments, recommendations, send yeah. them all there. Yes. We do take recommendations because we do have a schedule for all the movies that we watch. Yes. And we won't need a recommendation for next week because we've got that planned out ahead of time. Greg, what are we watching? Well, I don't know if you knew this, John, but Quentin Tarantino, <laughs> young up-and-coming director, um, <laughs> Who is, nine young, so who is this young independent upstart? I know. He's made nine movies so far. Can you believe that? Very prolific. Wow. He's got a new movie coming out soon. Also about this new Hollywood era. Mm. And we thought we'd revisit a film of his that we haven't seen. Um, we have seen Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, even the bad ones like The Hateful Eight. <laughs> Hateful Eight? I like The Hateful Eight. How dare you? And, Boring. Dull. Get out of here. Oh, don't even get me he hasn't started been the same on the glorious bastards. Sally Mankey passed away. So we're going to watch a movie in which Sally Mankey did edit, and it's his follow-up to Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown. Mm-hmm. Downtown yeah. Jackie Brown. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the last movie he made with humans in it. 
<laughs> it's the last movie he he kind of came out with before he was like, eh, screw it, I'm just gonna remake, uh, I'm just gonna do a uh, grindhouse for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna do those genre movies I loved when I was growing up. I'm just yep. gonna do those over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, I think this is still very much in the gangster genre, wouldn't you say? I I guess, yeah. It, well, speaking of genre, it is technically a, a black exploitation movie. Mm-hmm. Um, however, being based on somebody else's work, in this case, James Elroy. I, I think he he tries to get something a little more more human, and that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, I, hopefully, I've, I'm hoping that's the case. I've seen bits and pieces of it, and it definitely seems like a a very grounded Quentin Tarantino movie, which we don't see enough of these days. I would say, no. <laughs> unbelievably, I know. <laughs> we I, I I thought he'd be the next John Cassavetes. It turns out that that turned out not to be the case. Oh well. <laughs> well, it's all right. We won't have to put up with him for one more movie, so that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> put up with? No, I I I didn't mean to down on hateful eight it's not like a bad movie it's not i don't it's not like birdemic or anything but i mean he's it's he's he, he swings wildly in terms of uh, quality for me so i okay. i tend to either love his movie or hate his movie so okay we'll, we'll find out next week won't we oh it'll be fun <laughs> yes so so hear ye hear ye folks until next time thank you everybody for listening and until next time keep aspiring look for me Focus.